Amen. Well, if you got your Bibles, if you will join me in John chapter 8, and uh, we're going to um, walk through verses 31 through 47. We'll actually start in verse 30 of John chapter 8 and go through verse 47. And as you're turning there, um, just a just a little reminder in your bulletin, uh, there, was a, there was an insert that just says pray across the top. And so uh, we just want to give you a resource on how to pray specifically for students and teachers uh, and leaders. And then also uh, right outside in the foyer, we have some note cards and things, whether it's a, a, a note of encouragement, a prayer, dropping a gift card in there for them to let you know you love them and you're with them. I know that would mean the world to them. And so, uh, so I encourage you to, to be uh, always in prayer uh, for, our, for our leaders and our students. And uh, so excited to get in the Word. Uh, and our theme this morning uh, in this Word is true discipleship. True discipleship. Um, my lovely bride and I just uh, recently celebrated 15 years of marital bliss. And so we, we decided to get away for a little trip and we went to Branson. And so um, the in-laws came up and they, they took care of all of our little people and we went away and with no responsibility. And it was the weirdest experience ever, but it was awesome. And, and we had a blast. Have you ever been over there? It's beautiful. You got the Ozarks and Table Rock Lake and, and all kinds of trails and stuff. It's awesome. Uh, but there in town, if you've been there, there are shows and shows and gobs of shows and they're everywhere. And, and if you cruise through there, a lot of these shows, they will, uh, they will advertise as a tribute show. Uh, and so in other words, there are everyday people, very talented everyday people who their job is they wake up and they dress like another person and sing like another person and their livelihood is on um, emulating another person. And, and they're really good at it. And people come from all over to watch them as they uh, look like other people, as they dress like other people, as they even like facial expressions and even the way you talk and, and like the whole thing, like these, these impersonators uh, go to great lengths, great detail to emulate somebody who's famous. But at the end of the show or at the end of the day, they all go back home like all of us do. And, and at some point, the act ends. <laughs> the act doesn't keep going. That they're going to get home and Elvis, uh, who is from Memphis, Tennessee, is really Ryan from Milwaukee or something like that. You know, when he goes home and, 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 and it's the real them. It's the real them. In other words, the, the, the act, the front um, the, the outside appearance, the act, like it doesn't last forever. It just, it ends and they are, they are the real them. And that's really what today is all about as we talk about true discipleship, because what Jesus in a very gracious and loving way is going to do for us is he's going to help us understand what does a true disciple look like? Who is a true disciple? And the main idea that we're going to see through the word is that true disciples continue in the truth of God's word. True disciples continue in the truth of God's word. So as we are in John chapter 8, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. The Feast of Tabernacles was a major feast and he was there. 
uh, and that feast is now wrapped up, but Jesus is still there. He's still investing. He's still pouring himself into those who would have ears to hear. He has taught them how if anyone thirsts, let him come to him and drink. He's inviting all of those who are soul thirsty for forgiveness and a relationship with God to come to him to believe is to drink and, and he will save them. He talks to them about how he's the light of the world. And I love that imagery because we all know that we live in a spiritually darkened world. And he's the light of that world. That we live in a, in a world where people are spiritually dead. Anybody who's spiritually dead is someone who's living apart from a relationship with God. They're spiritually dead. And so Jesus is the light of the world. He came to bring light to a spiritually dark world. Came to give life to a spiritually dead world. And he has come to rescue us. He has made it clear through this gospel and even through this teaching at the feast that he has been sent from God, that he is God. He and the Father are one, that he is the Messiah. And only through a relationship with him can one person be saved. And so he's here to rescue them. And now we're going to jump into verse 30. And the Bible says this, verse 30 of John 8 says that as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Praise the Lord. Many believed in him. And then in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Now I want to take a moment, almost like a time out, because the people in verse 30 and the people in verse 31 are two different groups of people. The Bible says in verse 30 that there were many who believed in him. This is speaking of saving faith. It's speaking of those who have come to that time and place in their life where they understand that they are a sinner, that they have repented of their sin and they have trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone as their Savior, as their Messiah, the only one who can rescue them. So to believe in him speaks of saving faith. But then verse 31 says that Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, this is not saving faith. We're going to see that's very clear as we walk through this text. Because by verse 37, the Bible says of these people, verse 31 people, Jesus says, my word has no place in them. And so they're two different people. These are people who were not saved, but they're discerning that Jesus is a trustworthy person. They, they believe him. They're listening to what he says. They haven't completely bought in and surrendered their lives, but they're they're open and they're, they're, they're understanding what he is communicating is, is true. And so they are locked in and they are, what does he have to say? Now, the Bible teaches us as we walk through the Gospels that, that there are distinctions between those who, uh, who place their faith in him, believe in him, and those who just simply believe him. There's two different, two different groups of people. As we look at John 6, that was one of the great miracles. He took the fish and he took the loaves. He multiplied it, fed thousands upon thousands of people. The Bible teaches that they tried to lay their hands on him to make him their king. Jesus withdrew from them. They ended up chasing him down. And Jesus taught them more about who he is and what it means to follow him. And by the end of chapter 6, verse 66 says, After this, many of his disciples turned back. And they no longer walked with him. In other words, they were not true disciples. They were excited about Jesus for a little while. 
But then they turned away. They turned away. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus teaches a parable about this called the parable of the soils. We see it in different places in the Gospels, but it's this picture of a sower who has seed. And they go out and they cast their seed or sow their seed on different kinds of ground. And as they cast that seed on the ground, the Bible says that some of the seed, which represents the good news of Jesus, the gospel, his word, some of that seed fell on, uh, fell on ground and was trampled by foot. In other words, it never made it below the surface. It was stamped out. The word went out, but nothing happened. Another, uh, another, uh, another consequence of that seed being cast out was that birds of the air came and took it away. So the seed came down and just as soon as it dropped, birds of the air swept in and took it away. The word took no root. But the Bible also says that some of the seed, some of the good news fell on rocky soil. Some of the good news fell on uh, soil with thorns and some fell on good soil. But listen to what Jesus says in Luke 8, 13 about the rocky soil. It says, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, they fall away. So true saving faith is not a faith that appears for a little while and then disappears. True saving faith, true disciples are those who continue in the word. Anybody can be excited about Jesus and follow Jesus for a day. But a true disciple will continue in the word and pouring into that relationship. And so Jesus is going to teach us through this teaching moment with these Jewish people gathered there around the temple, he's going to teach them about the power of the word and how the word marks a true disciple's life. Now, I'm not a fan of test. My hunches y'all aren't either. <laughs> but I want to invite us to take a test this morning. And it's a test that the apostle Paul invited the Corinthian church to take. So as we walk through this word, here's the test. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul says, examine yourselves. Examine, examine your faith. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus is Christ, Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So I want us to examine our faith this morning. Against the backdrop of what a true disciple, who Jesus says a true disciple is. Not who Jared says a true disciple is, who Jesus says is a true disciple. Couple, couple observations. One, true disciples hold on to the truth of God's word. True disciples hold on to the truth of God's word. Verse 31 of John 8 says that, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You want to know if you're a true disciple? If you abide in my word. That word abide can mean to continue in, to hold on to, to remain in, to persevere in the word. To hold on to his word is to cling to his word. To abide in his word is to want to never let go of his word. Uh, to abide in His Word is one who desires their hearts and their minds and their actions and their reactions and their attitudes and what seems right to them. 
that regardless of what seems right to us, we want to know what God's Word has to say. And whatever God's Word has to say is what we want for our lives and for our heart. That even if we get to a place where we struggle, perhaps, with the truth of God's Word, that, that we would yield our struggle to resting and trusting in a good and gracious God who has given us His Word. Peter describes a, a true disciple as one who longs for milk like a baby. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. That word long means to crave. Now, how many of y'all have, have seen a baby who is hungry? And if you haven't seen them, you heard them. Right? You heard them. It didn't matter if they were in another room or in the back of the restaurant. You hear. They are crying out for what can only satisfy them. I mean, have you ever tried to throw a $100 bill at a hungry baby? <laughs> it doesn't matter. You can hand a, a brand new iPhone at a, at a baby. Like, it doesn't matter. What matters right now is I desperately need this milk because it's the only thing that can satisfy the craving I have. And it's the only thing that is going to grow me. It's the only one. And so, may we be reminded that a true disciple is one who hungers for the Word. Who understands that the Word is, is essential for their life. Essential for their growth. I love what Jen Wilkins said. She said, the heart can't love what the mind does not know. And so, here is a great encouragement. If, if you want to love God more. If you want to grow in your relationship more. If you want to love Him, then we will spend time in His Word because as we know Him more through His Word that He has revealed Himself to us, we will love Him more. And the purpose of, of digging in His Word and digging in His truth is not so we can be a better person. It's not so I can be a better dad. It's not so I can be a better friend. It's not so I can be a better pastor. It's not so I can be a better worker. Like all those things are are good things, but, but the goal of spending time in the Word is Him. It's Him. He is the goal. Intimacy with God is the goal. We spend time in His Word so we can spend time with Him and rest in His presence and to know His heart and to know His Word. And so a true disciple will long for that truth that is essential to their growth. And so in verse 31... Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We've heard that. It is very possible that a lot of folks who may never have stepped inside a church or read the Bible have heard that <laughs> the truth will set you free. Maybe you saw it in a TV show drama in a courtroom scene or, or, or a movie, or at a college or university, and they're highlighting how important knowledge is. But, but here's the problem with that. Jesus wasn't giving this inspired, authoritative line of truth to be a good line in a courtroom scene. He didn't give it so that a university could have a strong motto. The reason He's giving it is because He's communicating that He is the truth. And that His Word is the truth. And He is the only one who can set a person free. He's the only one. 
And evidently this struck a nerve with the people who were listening. It struck a nerve with them. They're like, well, you're not suggesting that I'm, that I'm free? Look at verse 33. They answered him. We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that you will become free? We've never been, we've never been enslaved. If we take a quick stroll through the Old Testament, we're like, how did that, how are they not remembering the fact that they spent 400 years in Egyptian captivity? And even in the Assyrian takeover, and even then the Babylonian takeover. And even now when this conversation is happening, Rome has their thumb on Jews in the land. And it's like, how, how do they not see that? To which I would say the most dangerous sin is the sin that we don't see in our lives. Whether it's a blind spot, whether it is pride, whether it is self-righteousness, whether it is like their family lineage, like... I don't know why, I don't know what's happening, how or why they would say this. But verse 34, Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus is talking to these Jews. He's not talking about Egypt. He's not talking about Assyria. He's not talking about Babylon. He's not talking about the Romans. He is giving a spiritual truth that is true for all people. It's true for all times, for all people at all times around all of the world. And that is Romans 3.23 that perhaps you have said or you could quote, but it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says, everyone who has practiced sin. And we... We know what sin is. It's anything we think, say, or do that hurts the heart of God. God has a design for every area of our life. This is a great reminder for all of us. He has a design for our relationships. He has a design for our marriage. He has a design for our parenting. He has a design for the way we go about where we live, work, and play. He has a design for absolutely everything. He has a design for our uh, all of our, our time, all of our resources. Like He has a design for all of it. For all of it. And God's blessing is when we live within His design. But the problem is, is all of us have departed from that design thinking that we know a better way. And so what happens is when we depart from God's design, we depart and that departure is called sin. And it leads to a place of brokenness. And when we're in that place of brokenness for going our own way, it, it brings guilt, it brings shame, it brings brokenness. But we do our very best to try to fix that. But the, 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 the truth is we can't fix that. We can't fix, we can't fix our brokenness. That's why Jesus has come to set us free. So Jesus is talking to everyone who practices sin, which means he's talking to everybody that's listening in this conversation in the word. And he's talking to all of us today. He's talking to all of us. In verse 35, Jesus says, the slave does not remain in the house forever, for the son remains forever. And so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Work relationships are going to come and go. Those who are serving wouldn't live in the house forever, but the family is forever. And what 
what Jesus is saying is the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You'll be free from sin. You'll be free from the power of sin. He's saying you need the Son. You need, you need me. In verse 37, he says, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham. You, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. And I mentioned this, like, how do we know these aren't real disciples? Well, they, the word has no room. There's no room. My word finds no, pl- no, no place in you. And so a second observation, true disciples make room for the truth of God's word. So whether they were, they were rejecting God's word because of pride, self-righteousness, knowledge, tradition, all of those things, there's no room. There's no room for his word and his truth, to which I would say, even for the true disciple, for those who say I'm a true disciple, this is a great, this is a great encouragement to us. It's a great warning for us because it is very possible. My hunch is we are a room full of very busy people. That's my hunch. Am I right? Are we full? Are we busy? Anybody lacking for anything to do? (laughs) No, no, it's, it's. Our lives are so full and our lives, if we're not careful, can become very cluttered so much to the point where we fill our calendars and we fill our days and we fill our times up. And when we're all tapped out, we we give God the the rest or the scraps or. But we need his word. We need to always be making room for his word. I saw a church sign uh, somewhere uh, several years ago and it stuck with me but you ever seen churches they put little sayings on the outside of their signs and stuff and one sign was this it stuck with me I believe it's true uh, it says this if you're too busy for God you're too busy <laughs> and that that's a great word it's just true it's true and so maybe today is an encouragement maybe we have allowed ourselves to be too busy if we are crowding out room where God's word needs to be resting. May we seek first the kingdom and all the other things will take care of themselves. Verse 38, Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Listen, you're not doing the works of Abraham. You're trying to kill me. You're trying to kill the Messiah. You are not. You are not doing the works of Abraham. Abraham was a great man of faith. You look back in the Old Testament, Genesis 15 says he was a man of faith, that he believed the Lord, it counted to him as righteousness. And so he's a man of faith. And by Genesis chapter 18, we see that as God's sent ones are on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah to bring judgment, what does Abraham does? He makes room in his house for them to stay, feed them, fellowship with them, spend time with them. He's making room. And so he's a man of faith and he's making room in his life and physically in his home to receive the ones who have been sent by God. And Jesus is saying, you are not like your father. You are not acting like your father. 
Verse 41 says, You are doing the works that your father did. And they said to him, to Jesus, Well, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And it's hard to, to really get in there and see what's saying, but if you've ever seen anybody get slapped in the face, I'm not advocating that, but if you've seen it, or maybe something has been said and you've said, it felt like a slap in the face. What the Jews have just done has been a slap to the face of God. Because listen to what they said. Well, we weren't born in sexual immorality. It's possible they understand that Joseph, God's earthly father, Jesus' earthly father, was not his biological father. Christ was born from above. He's the Messiah. But here they are smacking him in the face. Well, you, you, at least we're not born in sexual immorality. And so they continue on in verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Jesus is saying, they're saying, my father's Abraham. I have one father, God. Jesus says, no, I will tell you who your father is. Your father is the devil. Your father is the devil. Can you imagine how offended they must have been to hear if somebody came up to you living apart from a relationship with God and said, you are a son of the devil. You think about that, you think about the, the offense, but listen, Jesus is God in the flesh, like he's perfect. He's not losing his cool, he's not acting out of character with who he is. But what he's doing is he's telling them the truth about who they are. And it's important for us because we must hear the truth about who we are. Paul lays it out for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the church, and here's what he says He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's talking to the church. Remember, Jesus came to give spiritual life to a spiritually dead people. He said, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's Paul, the greatest missionary who has ever lived outside of Jesus himself. And he is saying, before he was in a relationship with God, he is saying, I was a child of wrath, just like everybody else. That Paul says this to the Romans in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Again, he's talking to the church. But he says, while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. In other words, what Paul is saying is when you live apart from a life-giving relationship with Jesus, is that you are a child of wrath and an enemy of God. This is a powerful, powerful truth. So Jesus is telling them the truth about who they are. And think about this for a second. At the beginning of this conversation, they were insulted that Jesus would say that they were enslaved to sin. They're thinking they're free. They're thinking they're good. They're thinking they're good people, perhaps. They got strong self-righteousness. Have you seen how good they are at keeping the law? Like they don't keep it perfect, but wow, they're pretty impressive with, with their lives. But, but what he's saying is all people are enslaved to sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They think they're free. They are far from free. It is possible that even here today, that if we think long enough, we will see and understand that we too have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So they think they're free. They also think because Abraham is in their bloodline that they're good to go. How many times were they bragging about being Abraham's children and being from the lineage of Abraham? But what Jesus is saying is like, listen, it doesn't matter that you're Great, 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 great. Keep going. Granddad was Abraham, a patriarch of the faith. Your bloodline doesn't matter. What matters is if you have a relationship with God, a relationship with the son. Jesus doesn't say your bloodline will set you free. Jesus says the son will set you free, free from sin. He's the only way. And so they're kind of banking on the fact that they got a, they got a, you know, a, they got a Abraham in their line, like, I, I, I share this. I've been told this is true. I don't know 100%. My, my dad told me this, so I believe him. He said that I am of the lineage of Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> All right, president. I don't know if that's true, but just thought I'd share with y'all. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kin to a president. But guess what? Y'all don't care. <laughs> it, it doesn't mean anything, does it? Like, it doesn't mean if I walk into a room and say, hey, guess what? My great, 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 whoever was Woodrow Wilson, president of the United States. You'd probably laugh and be like, whatever. <laughs> Just kind of walk away. I say that silly, but I say this like they're thinking because Abraham. Like they got their, their father Abraham had many sons. I'm one of them. And don't you just want to start doing that song as a kid? But. Here's the thing, Jesus graciously and lovingly is saying, Abraham is not your father, the devil is. That somehow they have thought because of bloodline, it is possible. And I've spoken with people who think, man, my mom was a saint. My daddy was a deacon. My cousin's a preacher. Did you know you can go to church every single day and every single time the doors are open and you can go to hell? It's true. You can dress up. You can do the part. At some point, it, it, at some point, at some point, it, it runs out. If you're not a true disciple, there is only one way to be set free. And that is through a relationship with the son who the son sets free is free indeed. So they're thinking, 
I'm not a slave. Oh, you're, you're a slave to sin. All are. All are under the power, the rule, and reign of sin. They're living apart from Jesus. They think because they got a father Abraham in their bloodline that they're good to go. Jesus says, no, your father is not Abraham. Your father is the devil. And they here say, well, my father is God. They're saying they're a child of God. And what Jesus is saying is, no, you are not a child of God. Because you're only a child of God if you have come to that time and place in your life where you have understood that you are a sinner in need of God's forgiveness and that you repent of your sin. It's a change of direction. It's a change of mind. And you turn to Jesus and you surrender your life to Him as the Lord and Savior of your life who the Son sets free is free indeed. There are a lot of creations of God but only children of God are those who have been adopted into the family of faith. Sons and daughters who have received Christ as the Lord of their life. So one more observation in the text is that true disciples continue in the truth of God's Word. Verse 47, Whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. I want to, if you're a, if you're a Bible circler, um, I encourage you to circle that who is of God. Those who have believed in Him, not just believed Him. Believed in Him, you've placed your faith and your trust in Him. Whoever is of God, here's the word. Because here's some encouragement. Is, is, is it is very easy for somebody who loves Jesus to fall into kind of a legalism that thinks if I didn't get seven days out of seven in the Word, then I'm a bad Christian and I'm a bad person and guilt and shame start heaping up and you start looking at the Bible as a task instead of a, a, a life-giving, life-giving voice of God into our lives. It's easy to kind of get into that, 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 that place. But can I just remind us who are of God, those who have received Him? Listen, don't go down the pathway of guilt. Jesus took care of that on the cross. Don't go down the pathway of shame. Jesus took care of that on the cross. He took all our guilt, all our shame. He did all the work for us and gifts us His righteousness. And so here's the encouragement. True disciples will continue in the Word. There may be seasons of drought. There may be seasons of struggle. Some times of the Word are going to be perhaps more powerful than other times. But... Guard your heart against the shame and the guilt and the I'm a terrible person. Like Jesus took care of all of that on the cross. We are his children adopted as sons and daughters. And he will stir up that desire and hunger for his word and to continue in his word. And so as we look at this text, we back out from the text a couple of encouragements for us this morning. One is to, I mentioned Paul said, test yourselves. True disciples continue in the Word. True disciples make room for the truth of God's Word. True disciples continue in the truth of God's Word. And so if you would say that I am a true believer, the encouragement I believe today is God in His grace is reminding us once again how necessary, how essential, and how beautiful and gracious His Word is to, to our lives. That true disciples make room for the Word. If your life is too cluttered 
then your life has become too cluttered. And it's time by His grace to perhaps recommit to loving His Word. Because I love what, what a fellow by the name of Herman Bavnik said. He said this, In the Scriptures, God daily comes to His people, not from afar, but nearby. In it, He reveals Himself from day to day. And to believe in, to, in, the, in, the, in between, in the fullness of His truth and His grace. That through it, He works His miracles in compassion and faithfulness. The Scripture is an ongoing rapport between heaven and earth. Between Christ and His church. Between God and His children. It does not just tie us to the past. It binds us to the living Lord in the heavens. It is the living voice of of God. I love I love that that reminder of what a gift the word is. So true believers always make room for the word. True believers abide in the word. True labor, true believers continue in the word. And so may we be encouraged the will of God is in the word of God. And as I have heard it said before and I've said it Shared it with you, and I love this little little phrase. It helps me. We get in the Word so the Word can get into us. We get in the Word so the Word can get into us. Praise God for His Word, His truth, and His truth sets us free. But you may be here and you relate perhaps with those Jews in the picture. You wouldn't say, you know, I, I'm, I am that Jew. It's, you know, a different world, different context. But it is very possible that in your in your upbringing or even up to this point in your faith journey, that, that you have lived under the assumption that you are a good person and that your good outweighs your bad. And so when this earth thing is over, because your good outweighs your bad, then you're good to go. But the problem is, is that is not true. That Jesus says... That all people, all of mankind are a slave to sin outside of a relationship with Him. And not only that, it is possible to grow up in an environment or a setting and kind of cling to this idea that though you wouldn't say that like, you know, Abraham is my father, but you may say I come from a good home. And my mama loves the Bible and she reads the Bible every day and she prays for me. Or, or it may be that, that somehow you think there's because of your bloodline, like it's all good. But Jesus in loving and in, in his love and in his grace, he's saying, listen, just because your father is Abraham. Just because your father is Abraham, you, you are. He's talking to the Jews. He says, you're a, you're a, you're a, your father is the devil. And then it could be that that. You just kind of kind of think, well, like we're all children of God. We're just all children of God. And, and the, the Bible teaches that we are all creations of God. But children of God are those who have been adopted into the family. Those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith and trust in the Son. And the Son sets them free. And they're adopted into the family. They're a son and daughter of the King. They've been rescued. They've been redeemed. Forgiven. But only those who have been set free by the Son. And so I would just encourage you today that as we have examined our faith, 
and we examine our relationship, there are two groups of people who are in the room, two groups of people listening in online. And there are those who have believed in Jesus. Those speaks of saving faith, true disciples, and those who believe Jesus, they think what he's saying is true, but they have never placed their faith and trust and surrendered their life to him. So I would just encourage you today that there is no greater day than today to begin a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Don't be blinded by goodness. Don't be blinded by bloodline. Don't be blinded by everything is going to be, it's just all going to work out. No, Jesus in his love and care is extending his grace and love to a relationship with you. And believers, may we, may we long to be dominated by the word and not cried out his word. May we long and crave it like milk. We desperately need it for our souls. We need it for our families. We need it to be a light on this mission that he has entrusted us with. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, I, I, every time we walk through a passage where you are graciously, lovingly, time and time again, offering your truth to a people who are far from you, a people whose hearts desire to kill you. God, you still lovingly, graciously invite them into a relationship. God, that they would see their need and surrender their lives to you. God, I pray that if there's anybody here that is living apart from a relationship with you, that today would be the day of salvation. Nothing else is more important than that. And God, I pray as true believers, the family of faith, far from perfect people, God, that we would have a fresh commitment and a fresh hunger and a fresh desire for your truth and for your word. Is it impossible for us to grow the way you have designed us to grow apart from your truth and the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts and lives? And so God, I pray that you would find us yielded to you, yielded to you. We sang it earlier. There's nothing better than you. So God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, do a work in our lives. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. I invite you to stand with me. And as you do, we're going to have pastors who are here. And um, it could be today that you just need somebody to pray for you. It would be a great privilege to have an opportunity to pray over you. It could be today that you need to begin a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, we invite you to come. We would love to pray for you, come alongside you, walk through God's Word. And to begin that relationship with Jesus today is the most important, greatest decision you will ever, ever make. And then there are ways things that are going on, circumstances in our lives that perhaps only God and a few others know about. And it, perhaps even in this time, it's just allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Maybe somebody praying over you or you praying to the Lord, whatever that looks like. Let's be sensitive to how the Lord 
desires us to respond to him today.